0: Welcome to another episode of Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Kirsten Holder, and today we're discussing some of the biggest myths, best hacks, and advice for support in honor of Breastfeeding Awareness Month. Dr. Noor Jihan Abdul-Hawk is joining us today. She is a board-certified pediatrician. She has her own practice called Peace of Mind pediatrics with two locations, one in Northwest Oklahoma City, the other in Dell City, which is the community she grew up in. She's won numerous awards for her outstanding community service, one example of which is that she helped to open the Clara Community Health Center in OKC, which is a free clinic for the uninsured. Dr. Abdul-Hawk is also a wife and a mother of three, and I am so honored she is taking time to speak with us today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, so let's start out this episode with Mythbusters because I feel like there's a lot around uh, breastfeeding. So one misconception I personally had um, before I had my child is that breastfeeding is easy and soon learned out learned that it is not easy (laughs) Um, after I had my child I wonder if breastfeeding was supposed to hurt maybe that's normal Um, you know I wasn't sure at the time another big one was nipple confusion supplementing you know so many things so I'd love to hear from you what are some of the biggest myths that you've heard around breastfeeding and what you might like our listeners to know about them
1: Well, definitely those would be some of the biggest ones, even for me, right? That I often hear people come in and they're discouraged based on those things. Others are, you know, people for some reason think that, I often hear people say that they think the child is going to be more spoiled if they breastfeed or, you know, they won't want to get off the breast and you're just going to be stuck for the rest of your life and things like that, which I often will hear. Also, some of the dads will say they don't want the mother to breastfeed because they have fears that it's going to alter something. You know, I don't really, they don't often go into detail about exactly what they mean, but sometimes they'll be discouraging to the moms and make them feel like their breasts are just going to, yes, you will have some changes to your breasts, but you have that anyhow, as you get older. (laughs) Um, So, you know, they end up sagging ladies. (laughs) But definitely those, those would be some of the things that I often hear. But I think that, you know, I will say for some people, breastfeeding is very easy. And so, you know, I, I will say that with my twins, it was more difficult, obviously, because I had two people to feed. But with my last one, he literally came out of the womb, crawled up and started feeding and didn't get off until he was 20 months old. And it was actually easy. I was like, oh, this, I see why some people say it's easy, but I also experienced why it's not always the case. So I think we have to just be very careful in our wording so that we don't make anyone feel discouraged because just like riding a bike is easy for some, it's difficult for others.
0: That is a great analogy. And um, as we talk today, I feel like this is gonna be a reoccurring theme that that one size does not fit all in this scenario. Um, and it's something good to remember because when you're in the middle of caring for a newborn, sometimes your logic and your common sense isn't just readily available. Like it is when you were just worried about taking care of yourself or maybe a pet or something else. But, um, what are some common kind of trial and error tips that you have recommended for moms? Um, and then kind of piggybacking on that. When do you recommend, uh, throwing in the towel, so to say, and seeking professional help? through someone like a lactation
1: consultant? So I often will start off with mothers, especially in the hospital setting, to say, just try it, right? If you're getting some pain, things like that, while you're in the hospital, call for that lactation consultant, actually while you're there, because that's, that's easy. You know, you get that one-on-one before you even leave. So I often will say if people have never breastfed, at least before you leave the hospital, have them come into your room if they are available. I know COVID has changed a few things, but from what I'm understanding, they are still coming in for the most part. If you've breastfed before, things like that, and you think everything is okay, I understand leaving the hospital, but sometimes uh, without, you know, the lactation consultants coming in. But sometimes when people come to the office, they're really struggling with the latch, making sure the latch is a proper latch, or extreme pain, blistering of the nipples and things like that. You do have some discomfort, which many of you already know, and you can have some of that, but these things are very extreme. And so I often will throw in a nipple shield because for me, if that's going to help the mom heal, that's going to get the baby fed, I'm going to do that first. There's a lot of discrepancies and things around them but I'm a fed is best, right? And so, and I also want the mom to not be discouraged. So if I can get her nipples to heal. Sometimes I'll recommend, we'll just pump the milk, feed it with like a little, like the little cups, the measuring cup or with the syringe and do the feedings like that. Or you can get the supplemental nursing device. And so the baby is, you know, it's kind of going in the baby's mouth and a little latching on, but it may not be, you know, fully latched for the mother um, if there's issues with that to make sure the baby is getting enough milk. Because if the baby is is not getting enough milk, the baby's gonna be more fussy and irritable. Then mom is gonna be more upset, frustrated, stressed. We all know that stress leads to decreased milk supply. So therefore it's a cycle and you're not gonna get anywhere if you don't intervene. I share this story. And I know you didn't ask me this question, but with my twins, when I came back from home from the hospital, they weren't getting enough milk. And I was stressed and I was, anyhow, we're not talking about my delivery because it was horrible. (laughs) But in that situation, I'm trying to heal, trying to feed two babies, they're upset. So they're just screaming at me, very frustrated. And then my husband said, pump some milk, go to sleep. And I said, I don't have any milk, nothing's coming out. And he said, called our sister-in-law and said, bring over some milk from our niece who was a little bit older. And so she brought over some milk. So the babies finally were full. Then I finally went to sleep, finally made some milk, was able to resume feeding them. And I think at one point I may have even supplemented them, you know, a little bit in the first week at home just to catch up. And then I was able to be stressed and make more milk. And so then they didn't require as much. So I would tell moms, like, even if you have to do that, very early on, you continue to latch the baby as much as you possibly can, but realize that it's not the end of the world if you have to do that. And sometimes we feel that way, like, because we had our mindset on this is what we're going to do. And then when everything that you had planned doesn't work out how you wanted it to, you know, that, that leads to mothers having increased postpartum depression and things like that, or just baby blues initially. So I think it's really important. And so if you're struggling, you're having a lot of problems, Ask the lactation consultant. You have, you know, there's the the La Leche League. You can just call them and get help. There's the the chocolate milk for uh, women of color. There's lots of resources. And even where you deliver, the hospital where you deliver, you can call their lactation people and they are willing and want to help you. So don't struggle at home. There's nothing pretty and fancy about struggling. Mm -hmm. You know, I know we as women think we're very strong and we can do it all. But in other countries and other cultures, you know, women have babies and the whole community surrounds them. Wow. You know, They help them with breastfeeding, they help them with everything. And we don't have that in this country. So we have to realize that when we need to reach out and that it's very, very important.
0: Gosh, that is such a great point. I, I know it's just a cliche phrase that it takes a village, but you're so right. None of us were built to do this alone. And especially something that none of us have done before. Using your analogy of bike riding, you know, it's it's learning something new um, under a lot of pressure. <laughs> and You are taking care of a little life. And so um, the stress, like you said, but taking care of yourself, I appreciate you kind of offering Myself, I needed to hear that, but our listeners, that grace too in, in taking care of your own mental health, but also your physical health and getting sleep, and it might work out better that way for you. Um, you kind of mentioned some apparatus items with um, a nipple shield and a syringe. Could you go into kind of what those options are a little bit more and I know there has been some talk we've seen online just about nipple confusion with um with using a shield but it sounds like you have not experienced that with your patients at all
1: well you know there's always a risk of nipple confusion and so if we're going to pick two things then we're going to pick a shield in your breast we're going to skip a pacifier we're going to skip that bottle right if we're going to do a shield now, if we're introducing the bottle, nipple confusion has a you know obviously we know that it's real and we see it. I also see lots of children who could put any device in their mouth and they have zero issues. That was my kid. It didn't matter what you put in their mouth, they it didn't it didn't matter. But it is real. But when we sit in a situation in which a baby isn't being fed and you have an extremely frustrated mother, we have to intervene at some point. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I like the syringes because you literally are just putting it in their mouth. So we're talking about like the medicine dropper, right? You're just putting it in the baby's mouth. So therefore there's no confusion there. With the supplemental nursing device, it's just a small little tube that goes in the corner of the baby's mouth. So again, that's not gonna cause any type of nipple confusion. If you can avoid the bottle, it will make your breastfeeding experience better because everything comes out of the bottle quickly. So it's kind of like you started off with just the baby had to order its meal and waits to be served. And now you're taking them to a buffet and you're saying, no, you can't eat at the buffet. Come and wait for me to order each meal for you. Who wants to do that? I'm gonna cry, I'm gonna be mad at you because I wanted the buffet that you just put in front of me. So just realize that the way that the milk comes out of the bottle is so fast. They get full they're just happy and it's not to say that we're starving our kids or something like that but they're not going to work for it if they don't have to work for it it's very important
0: mm-hmm. even developing some of those muscles from what i understand there's a lot to that with breastfeeding because it is harder um, for the baby to develop that so that's good to know um So what help, you kind of mentioned um, a couple of organizations that might be help outside of your pediatrician and lactation consultants, um, you know, regular like eight to five office hours as it relates to feeding inevitably, and I know this happened to me, I know it probably happened to so many of our listeners, um, it's on a holiday or a weekend or in the middle of the night when you need help. And so where are some of those places we can go and call and um, know that we're going to get quality, trustworthy advice um, if that happens to us?
1: Yes. And so as I mentioned before, La Leche League has always been kind of that standard because they have people there who will answer the phone. Um, And then with Chocolate Milk, I believe you can call most times. I haven't had too many people call in the middle of the night um, for those types of services, but that's definitely another one. Um, Here in the Oklahoma City area, there are a lot of different breastfeeding groups. But I think that if you are a person who plans to breastfeed, it doesn't hurt to already have created a relationship with a lactation consultant um, if you're going outside of the hospital, so that if you do need to make those calls and things like that later in the evening, that's fine. But remember, you know, your American Academy of Pediatrics websites, there's lots of websites that will give you quality information and you want to look at something that you know as you google because everyone likes to google and sometimes it's hard for me to go through and say you know this is not a good site, this isn't but you want to look at things that come from organizations right so the IBCLCs have tons of information out there so if it's coming from an IBCLC you probably pretty trustworthy information um, out there and so definitely um, lots of resources maybe not always after hours but um, those are some of the ones that you can find um, and look at online. You'll know it's credible by people's that you know the endings of their name, right? IBCLC, CLC, things like that. It might be more credible. I did want to just mention though, because earlier I didn't necessarily go into it, but one thing mothers do have to be very careful about is if you go to your doctor or you go to an urgent care or whatever and people tell you, stop breastfeeding because I'm starting you on this or that or whatever might be the case, then you call your pediatrician because we're gonna tell you whether you stop or you don't. And I think that's something really important because I find a lot of moms end up stopping because they were put on like a moxicillin. That was fine. (laughs) Or they needed anesthesia or different things. So I do tell people, you you can call your pediatrician 24 seven. And so call us if it's something urgent and you're like, somebody just told me to stop breastfeeding or the baby and pump and dump. Call us and we'll let you know because we're able to look that information up. Anyone can look it up, but oftentimes people don't look it up, but they might give you some information that could you know, mess up that early breastfeeding relationship.
0: Oh, that is so good to know, especially like you just mentioned the pump and dump because for moms that have pumped, the last thing you want to do is throw it out. <laughs> So I do appreciate you saying that. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Um, So speaking of things getting in the breast milk and passing along to babies, um, we know certain foods that we're not supposed to eat when we're pregnant. Um, But what are the differences there with a pregnancy body and a breastfeeding body as far as diet is concerned? Um, And do you normally recommend dietary changes if you are breastfeeding?
1: So, it just I think a lot of it has to depend on the what the person ate during pregnancy as well. because, like for instance, some women when breastfeeding can't touch spicy food. But then there's many cultures where that's all they do is eat spicy food. So I don't I always ask people what are what were you eating beforehand? What are your cultural practices or foods? And that part definitely plays a role. Now, when you first bring home a baby, don't eat broccoli and cabbage and collard greens or your baby's going to be up all night and so I kind of I laugh when I say that because I will never forget I knew better and then my mom after my second she brought me my favorite meal from one of my favorite restaurants and broccoli is part of it and the next night I was like why won't this kid go to sleep he's so gassy what happened what's the milk and I was like I don't even drink milk well, what was it <laughs> and I was like duh Try to avoid those foods that are, one, cause you gas <laughs> and also possibly can trigger that. In terms of caffeine, some children are very sensitive to caffeine. And so I tell the mothers, you know, you have to figure out what your child is sensitive to because not every child is. Some moms drink caffeine <laughs> all the time. And so the baby's used to it, but some are not. And it's, it's a little, won't say it's a trick, but for some mothers, I say, if you actually drink it while you're breastfeeding, By the time you get to that next round, you know, that the content of the caffeine, of course, is decreased some. So some babies do a little bit more. But for people who drink it multiple times a day, you often will end up with that fussy irritable baby. It's really important that mothers eat. Mm -hmm. Eat well, not a lot of junk food, because I do see the moms who eat junk food all day, those babies are gassy and fussy. Mm -hmm. And I can't necessarily pinpoint a spicy food or these... It's like just fast food. While I was eating McDonald's, I was eating this. I haven't had time to cook. And then I'm seeing these kids are the more fussy and irritable ones. Quite often, I do see that. So I would say, if you can ask a family member or whomever, can you please cook me a meal? It doesn't have to be fancy, but if you can cook me something so that I can make sure that I'm eating. Nuts are really great for breastfeeding mothers. It helps increase your milk supply. It's also a healthy fat. And it'll protein, it's going to last you a little bit longer throughout the day. And I, I tell moms, keep some nuts next to where you breastfeed. That way, if you forget a meal or you're stuck below the baby because the baby's sleeping, you do not want baby to wake up, there you have something. And of course, some water, right? So wherever you normally would breastfeed, put your nuts, put your water, whatever your snack, especially if you're allergic to nuts, there are alternatives. There are seeds, mm-hmm. um, which are similar with the protein and sometimes high with fat as well. So those are some of the things that I I encourage women to eat. And then also recommend that we, of course, you know, pay attention and monitor our um, intake for um, those things that would make the baby more irritable. There's a lot of, I won't say controversy around alcohol. Um, And so, you know, people will say it's okay to have a glass of wine um, people say it's okay to have a beer, et cetera. I tell people that's between you and you know your pediatrician or kind of however you want to do things. Baby sometimes can be, become a little bit more sleepy after that. Um, but we also know that the amount that they're getting is based on how you feel. <laughs> so if you overconsume, then your baby is going to get too much as well. But um I I, I was happy to find out about the non-alcoholic beer, the old duels for moms who are wanting that flavor, but also wanting to increase their milk supply. And I'm like, well, try that out. And that way, you know your baby isn't getting any alcohol.
0: Sure, yes. And sometimes it's just nice to feel like you can have something, you know, socially with your friends. And so the O'Doul's is a great option. (laughs) Thank you for all of that Mm -hmm. advice. You mentioned amoxicillin earlier, but I'd love to talk about um, just antibodies and vaccines and all of that kind of stuff when you are breastfeeding. So like I said, several questions here, but first of all, why are antibodies good? How do they work? Um, And then what do they have to do with COVID and the COVID vaccine, especially going on right now as the Delta variant is ramping up? Um, is it safe for people who are breastfeeding to be vaccinated? Or if you've recently been vaccinated, um, does the baby kind of automatically receive that protection as well?
1: So um, I would have to look at in terms of whether you were just vaccinated and exactly how much protection the baby would get, because that's, you know, these are newer studies for those um those who've been vaccinated and now are having children. So that, I don't believe we have all of that data yet, but based on other immunizations, we would expect that there would be some protection, which may wane by about two months, unless you're breastfeeding. So when you're breastfeeding, um, antibodies are just basically something that helps protect you um, against illness, right? So when you get a cold or something like that, if you already have antibodies, then your body goes to work quickly if you don't, then your body has to create them. So there's a delay. And so when you have the antibodies, you're able to fight things off faster. And so in breast milk, you get tons of antibodies for, you know, tons of anything that the mom has contracted over the years. A lot of times the baby can receive that. So we have noticed that those mothers who were vaccinated against COVID-19, those antibodies are passing through the breast milk. So those children are continuing to get them. So that is good news, you know, especially for those mothers because they're like, okay, my baby, you know, is possibly getting these antibodies as well. Now, in terms of actually quantifying exactly how much, how long it will last, that data, you know, doesn't exist yet because this is all still um, pretty new. I mean, we've, we're over a year into it because remember, the people who were in the studies, people forget that uh, physicians started getting the vaccine in November, December. But the studies, of course, started back in July. So we're already a year in to those studies.
0: Yeah, that is a good point. That is something good to remember um, because we think it is still fairly new and it is relatively, but um, you're right that the studies have been going on much longer. So I appreciate you saying all of that. So we've established so far that breastfeeding isn't always as simple as like snuggling in your favorite recliner and just kind of kicking back. Although, like you said, for some people it is, um, I would say, um, probably more often than not, people have at least one or two issues that they've got to work through. So if you are someone who is listening, and you are a partner, a family member, even a friend of someone who's breastfeeding, um, what kind of support do you think moms need to hear the most?
1: Sorry about that. I think one of the biggest things is just encouraging her like if she hasn't slept I want you to go lay down let me put your feet up are you comfortable do you need anything but really feeding mom making sure she's eating making sure she gets to take a shower Mm -hmm. giving her moments away from the baby because once she's fed the baby then someone else can take the baby Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I often find that the mothers are stuck under the baby and I'm like how did this help her because she needs to build energy and um, she needs to heal herself because she just went through a delivery. So it, you know, people think it's super easy because they see the dogs and cats. Do
0: it. Right. <laughs> but it takes
1: a toll on your body. It really does. And so we need to allow people to actually heal so that, you know, she can be at the top of her game for the baby. So I encourage all the dads. I always ask the dads, what are you doing to help her? What are you doing? Oh, well, I got to work. So... <laughs> if you have to work <laughs> she probably has to go to work back to work in six weeks right. so what are we doing like everybody needs to step up and that's why I went back to that whole village thing because in other cultures you feed the baby then they whisk the baby away and you just rest interesting and they're like rest get your rest it's it's amazing My, a friend of mine actually studies she's been going around to different countries and studying their afterbirth practices And you just be amazed at how different it is and the expectation that it is here in the United States. And so we have to do a better job of creating meal trains. Like all of my friends, when we had kids, there was a meal train. I just donated to another friend's meal train. No one had a baby without a meal train. So yes, the baby shower, the gifts, those things are nice. But what mom really needs is some food. She needs to not be stressed out trying to cook and dad he's probably not getting as much sleep either so i really encourage if you really love someone do a meal train that starts as soon as they get home or even pack their refrigerator before they have the baby come over help them clean before they have the baby everyone wants to come see the baby and i'm like no you can't see the baby what are you doing to help me <laughs> I, I will never I, you know I, I i laugh all the time because when i had my twins i was a resident a third year resident and i was stressed And so people would ask to come see the babies. And I say, well, what are you doing for us? Good for you. They would bring food. Some people come, somebody came over and sorted my mail so I could pay my bills. I kid you not, because I was like, I can't go through this. Can you help me with this? Somebody just, you know, tidied up my house. I did have a doula, postpartum doula. So they did a lot of that work for me and helped me with breastfeeding. But of course I'm paying that service. So (laughs) anyone can provide that for free. As well, but I think that that's important that we don't just go see a baby, that we come with food, we come with support, and we're there to work, um, even if it's only for an hour, Mm -hmm. and wear your mask, since it's still COVID, a good mask, and come over and help. (laughs)
0: yeah that that is such great advice because it is true i mean those are the all the items you just listed out paying bills cleaning doing laundry cooking those are all the things that are the mental load on moms no matter what and when you are in crisis you need other people to help fill in those gaps that you can't be expected to cover like you said when you're trying to heal i mean i read somewhere sometime that um just the number of calories you burn breastfeeding is is more than I've done in a single workout. And so, <laughs> and then you're doing that several times a day. And so, you know, all this extra stuff, yeah, you need help. And I, I think that's a great perspective point. Come, you know, hold my baby, but also help me out a little bit that we just need to make that a normal expectation for all moms going forward. I love that tip. Uh, definitely. <laughs> um so we may have some new moms listening that maybe have really appreciated this um it's likely that we have a lot of moms that also have older kids in the home so if you've had one child and breastfeeding went one way um in your you know viewpoint has the next child mirrored that pattern i know in your example um your children sounded very different um in the aspect that that there were two of them <laughs> and when they so how, how have you seen things kind of mirroring or not um as far as breastfeeding patterns
1: um some families it's all the same others the third child has issues the first child had no issues so just because something went well the first time that's why when these second time moms are in the hospital and they're struggling I'm like go ahead and call lactation in. and they're like, oh I did this before I get that mm-hmm. but this is a different kid Mm -hmm. and some children will have ties. Some children, just like we were talking about before, the musculature and things like that, it's just a little bit, you know, a little puny sometimes we say, but, and they need a little bit more assistance and help. So it's important to go into it differently with each child. You still hold on to your skills and the things that you did before, but maybe this child needs you to position your nipple towards the roof of the mouth, right? You can't just go straight forward. It has to go towards the roof of the mouth or football hold works better for this kid, or whatever might be the different positions would be better for this new child. And then some kids are just really gassy or colicky, you know, we say for other children. And so it's really going to impact your breastfeeding relationship because of that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. You talked about um, tongue tie and, and muscular structure um what are some of the signs of dehydration um in a child just I meant to ask that earlier but I think it's important to go over
1: so some parents may pick it up some may not and so the biggest things are wet diapers we're not making many wet diapers right we're making less than four to five wet diapers a day now press the first day of life it's going to be different so you're in a hospital or at home so you have a midwife or someone who's educating you on that so that's different so we want four to five wet diapers a day that'd be like the minimum but a lot of parents they will have an orange tint to that you see in the diaper and they're like what is this orange tint and that actually is a true sign of dehydration like that baby definitely is not getting enough. And so that's something they're uric acid crystals, um, which are produced by the kidney when it's not getting enough. And so I definitely tell people, some people sit on that and I'm like, no, you need to call somebody. If you see orange in the diaper, it's different than the red, you know, cause some babies will have the postmenstrual bleeding. And mm-hmm. so it's bright red. It looks like blood, but this is, this is more like an orange color that you're seeing in the urine. Also very, very dark urine babies who, aren't feeding well, sometimes will sleep. So you may think, oh, he's such a great sleeper. No, Mm -hmm. wake him up or her and make sure they're being fed every two to three hours. Because some of these children, if you're dehydrated, you're going to sleep. So that could be a sign. The feeling of the soft spot, most people aren't really trained to do that. But if it's completely sunken in, you know your kid's dehydrated. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people, they're like, it's dipped in. I'm like, well, it dips in because you're sitting the kid up. like." (laughs) (laughs) You know, you know, certain things. So I I often don't say just feel the soft spot, because if you're not really used to feeling that, you don't even know what normal could be. But if you see it's really sunken down, your child doesn't look well, your child isn't waking to feed, you want to start waking your newborn, you should say your newborn, Um, you want to wake them to feed. As they get a little bit older, yes, they can go longer stretches. How would you know? Same things in regarding dehydration. You want to look at the wet diapers Mm -hmm. and are they waking up to eat? because as they get older, they're they're definitely waking to feed. And so those are things to look at. Also, some babies, some babies will start cluster feeding. And you can tell they're trying to make mom produce more milk. Mm. But you'll see some kids cluster feed and then they're calm and they go back to sleep. Other kids are clustering and they're so irritable and fussy. That child probably isn't getting enough milk. Mm-hmm. Um, or they're gassy, of course. That could always be the case. But that's definitely something that I'm always gonna have in the back of my mind because I'll ask the mom, are they cluster feeding? And they'll say yes, and they're never satisfied. Well, we may not be making enough milk here. So we need to figure out, you know, what types of things we're gonna do to increase that.
0: Right. Which is so that is such a hard balancing game to do because. You don't truly know how much they're getting, but looking at some of those signs, I think those would be good starting points, at least for everyone. And I'm going to take this advice for my next (laughs) baby as well. Um, I hope everyone listening today came away from this conversation feeling more knowledgeable, but not overwhelmed. You know, all of these are good tips and um, it's why these recorded podcasts are good because you can always pause and rewind or do whatever you need. But if there's one thing I'd like to be a takeaway from this episode, it's that breastfeeding is challenging. That one size fits all is not applicable here. Um, And sometimes mom's mental health needs to come first. Always mom's mental health needs to come first. At the end of the day, fed is best. And I know you've said that several times as well.
1: Definitely, I mean, it's, it's important that we, like I said, sometimes you come in with one mindset and things don't go the way you wanted them to. So I also tell moms or pregnant women, I should say, go in with an open mind. You have things that you want to happen, but also realize those things may not happen. And so it often can be very discouraging if it doesn't happen the way you wanted it to happen. But always remember, you have a baby that's there healthy hopefully and um you know there are people out here who can assist you and help you so don't be superwoman you don't have to be you already had a baby so that makes you super mom anyhow but we're out here to help you so definitely take advantage of us because i don't know anybody who doesn't like to offer help to a new mom <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. that. That's the encouragement I needed this week, and I hope it resonates with our listeners too. I just so appreciate your time today, Dr. Abdul-Hawk. For those of you listening, you can find out more about Dr. Haq at www.peaceofmindpediatrics. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.